Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. I have two guests today. Ashley McKinless and Zach Davis are the hosts of the Jesuitical Cult podcast from America Media. They're my colleagues. And when I first started the Gloria Purvis podcast, they had me on Jesuitical. And I'm so happy to return the favor, especially since they just released their 200th episode and I want to celebrate with them. They created their podcast for young adult Catholics. They want to create a space for honest conversations and they have a lot of fun doing it with a little drink on the side. And I love that. And I wanted to introduce you to them because if you're not already subscribed to their podcast, please go do it. I mean, they understand that social media, the digital world is a place where many young people are today. And, you know, some priests and bishops don't get that. And so they've created a community where people can come and just sort of have these conversations that are important to young adults. So shout out to Zach and Ashley for coming on the show today. And congratulations on their 200th episode. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, and America is committed to hosting very real, honest conversations in the Catholic Church today. These conversations should educate, inspire, and challenge us to think more critically, more faithfully, and that's our mission. We're trying to create spaces for these conversations to happen, and they are happening. They're happening here. They're happening on Jesuitical. It's happening at America Media. So if you want to join these conversations and support our ministry, get a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Ashley and Zach is up next. Hey guys, I'm so glad you're able to join me today. You know, I'm sure there are some people like me that didn't even know what the title of your show, Jesuitical, means. So what does Jesuitical mean? I mean, how did it even come about? Yeah, so we wanted to reclaim it because technically Jesuitical is not exactly a term of endearment in the wider culture. Really? It's used to describe people who are maybe engaging in arguments in a way that's like, too clever by half and and oh. using sophistry to get to the conclusion that they want you to get to. So it was used against the Jesuits oh, by people I who see. weren't exactly fans of the religious order. Yeah, I think people still think the Jesuits are maybe sometimes too smart for their own good. Um, but we, what <laughs> we're we, not. No, we're, we're not. <laughs> correct. And so what like, we, that is not us. What we take it to mean is the tagline of the show is we're not Jesuits, but we work with them. And so <laughs> we're, we're Jesuit-ish, which yeah, we Jesuit light. Yeah, and the Jesuits, <laughs> okay. you know, you know, they've got twenty eight colleges, universities, and a number of other high schools. And so there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. who have interacted with this religious order in the United States that may have varying levels of affiliation with the church still. And so we're trying to like, hey, if that's you, you've got a home here. Mm. And you've been doing the podcast since 2017. And I know the young Catholic community is your target audience. So let me ask this. What kind of young Catholic do you think Jesuitical would appeal to And then what kind of insights over the last four years have you gleaned about the young Catholic community? 
So when we started the podcast, we had this person in mind. It was maybe someone who went to a Jesuit college or university or did a Jesuit volunteer program, Jesuit volunteer corps, and had some affiliation with the Jesuits, but was now maybe in their first new job in a new city, didn't have that strong Catholic community that they were used to in college. And, you know, maybe their parish left a lot to be desired in terms of community among young people. And so we wanted to reach that person and create the place where they could engage in those, you know, dorm room or bar room talks about <laughs> religion. Right. I guess that's the, in terms of what we learned, that's who we made it for, I think. But we've also learned that we occupy a space, I think, for people that feel like they have one foot inside the church and one foot outside the church. And whether that's in terms of how they feel connected to their parish, how they feel about church teaching, how they mm -hmm. feel about it with their family. In some way, they feel Catholic, but feel a certain type of way about it, where it's like a complicated relationship. So creating community through this medium, how do you feel like that works in the sense that it's not like people are talking right back to you? You know, it's not like a group conversation of right. people who listen yeah. to podcasts and Tune in. How does that work in your mind? It's tough because there's that meme where there's a kid who's like eating a bowl of ice cream, staring at a poster advertisement of three other kids eating a bowl of ice cream. And it's like, <laughs> right. this is what it's like listening to my favorite podcast, which I think people can relate to. Or, you know, you listen to a show for a while and you have this intimate relationship yeah. with someone who has no idea who you are. Yeah. Now we do, the best part of having a, any type of media platform is getting to meet people in real life, right? Because the studio is very lonely. If Ashley doesn't laugh at my jokes, I have no idea if they're <laughs> funny or not. And, and so it's really tough. And, you know, we really do rely on what we hope is like a word of mouth, like, oh, I really love the show, Jesuitical, have you checked it out? Or, mm -hmm. you know, we have things like Facebook groups and we've hosted meetups and things like that. But it really primarily exists as a digital community, which is an odd thing, I think. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking about is with your digital community, though, it is an entree in the real world. Say, so, hey, you guys listen to Jesuitical? Oh, you got to check it out. And it mm -hmm. gives people also things to talk about in real life that they can maybe even continue the discussion on a particular topic in real life. Yeah, that was one of our hopes was to model those conversations so that people could bring it back to their own friendships or small groups and that sort of thing. So it's hard to know if we've succeeded in that, but we hope that just the way that we have, you know, we're not experts in what we're talking about. We're just lay people trying to figure out our own faiths in relationship with other people. Yeah, we have mm -hmm. the great benefit of just bringing on a lot of smart people who know a lot more <laughs> than us. And I hope in that way we represent our audience, right? Like we're mm -hmm. just trying to figure stuff out. We don't have a ton to teach you, right? We're just hanging out. Right. Hanging out and talking, <laughs> discussing the faith, chewing the fat, if you will. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what do you think maybe older Catholics might misunderstand or simply not know about young Catholics that maybe we need to sit up and pay attention to? One of the things is that they don't, uh, they just don't really understand. I think there's been a huge effort catechetically and ministerially to get young people to like 100% understand and 100% agree with every single thing the church teaches, mm. which is one way of doing ministry. And I'm not sure it's the only way. I'm not sure that there's a single person, adult, young, old, otherwise, that doesn't at least struggle with something the church teaches, right? If you are a person that's totally comfortable with everything that, you know, Jesus talked about even, let alone the church, right? Like, you're probably not really wrestling with it. And so young people are really spiritual and they really love their Catholicism if they're Catholic. But the way that it's been expressed by other people in their life has put them off 
for one reason or another. And mm. so yeah. coming in with this idea that, you know, God has not been active in their life, right? And you've got to awaken them to something instead of asking, okay, where have you experienced God? Where has God been active in your life? And then extrapolating from there, I think it's often the, we try to do it the other way around. I sometimes wonder if it's just culturally older Catholics don't get the life of young Catholics. Like even my daughter, when I remember she was six, she was telling me something. She was like, mom, it's kid culture. You're not going to get it. And I was like, what? Yeah. How dare you? You know, it was kind of like a funny thing, but I thought about it. I was like, yeah, I really don't get your culture at all, sweetie. Some of the stuff like, I just, yeah. So I, I wonder also is there's that cultural disconnect around what the lives of young Catholics actually are like and the kind of pressures and expectations on a younger generation and quite different, I think. And I think that older Catholics or even Catholics like us who do want to see more people get involved in their faith, we make a mistake when we think the first step towards someone who is maybe halfway in, halfway out is thinking we need to convince them. Because like you said, there's this cultural chasm. And the only way you're going to close that is if you start with just like your basic relationship and establishing common ground and trust. And when you come in with this idea that this is a person that I need to change, (laughs) that does Mm. not work well in any other (laughs) way of (laughs) or part of life. Yeah. You know, when you say that, what relationship would anybody want to be in with the other person from jump is like, you got to change. Yeah, absolutely. It was like, well, why are you even talking to me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you even want to get to know me, you know, as a person? That would be such a major turnoff. But you're right. Some of the assumptions that we have to come in and tell young people certain things. Honestly, I think as I've been even thinking about ministries with communities that may be on the margins, that people make certain assumptions about what they need to lead with. And I'm thinking particularly about communities with people of same-sex attraction, that you hear other folks coming in and want to hammer in on the church's teaching on human sexuality. And I'm like, that might not even be what they even need to hear in developing a relationship. And to just make all these assumptions, and I'm like, that to me would seem to be a difficult place to start from instead of just placing yourself in the presence of the people and observing listening and conversing on the things that, you know, matter to them. Yeah. And in terms of assumptions, I think the fact of the matter is, is that most people in the church are just totally operating from assumptions and that are not mm. backed in any, maybe even reality. It's just sort of the their idea based on what they've read in the culture or see in movies, but have older Catholics talk to young Catholics about it. Mm. There's this great group, Springtide Research Institute, that does a ton of qualitative and quantitative studies that burst a lot of bubbles about what (laughs) young people and their relationship to spirituality and religion is actually like. And that's one group I would just shout out to. If you really want to know how young people relate to these things, there are groups that are studying this question from like a real data-backed point of view. And if we don't understand that, then we're going to have a real hard time, you know, coming together as a community, as a church. So what I'm hearing, because I know there are a lot of older Catholics, people that are past college, past those early years post-college. We're getting there. We're, 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 we're also there now. Yeah, we've been doing this too long. Four years, please. Yeah. I was like, you probably got another decade before you can consider yourselves aged out yes, of this true. whole demographic. Yeah. Come at on least now. in the Catholic Church, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. But, you know, I so I was just thinking, like, what would you say to somebody who's like so out of, removed from the culture of young people, how could they begin this relationship without seeming like there's this 
I don't know if it was a movie or a sketch where Steve Buscemi trying to pretend like he's in high school and he's like, hey, kids. What, you Hello, know. fellow kids. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, you don't seem like, that. you know, like yeah. Steve Buscemi trying to pretend to be high school age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> first, listen to Jesuitical. That's the oh, easy yeah, yeah. So If you want to know what the kids are thinking, yeah, no, we, we represent the children. No. But. Well, so one thing I have thought a lot about is just the way that we live our parish life in this age where we're more segregated than I would like it to be in terms of age. Like you have your young adults group, and then you have the older, maybe small faith sharing groups that tend to attract older people. And I go into this, and I'm like, this is the one place in my life where I'm in an intergenerational setting where I Mm. would love to just be able to interact with people in a way that's not (laughs) based on whether I'm young or not. And so I think for older Catholics to not only meet young people where they're at, but like be open about where they are in their own faith life and the struggles that they've had. And instead of trying to appear as this expert who is going to teach them something. And so I don't know, like when the pandemic happened, I was on the parish council and they were, you know, we're like, okay, we are starting from scratch here. No one knows what we're doing. And they asked me what I thought, what are the fundamentals of parish life that you think we need to bring back? And I was like, I... You know, like dinners, like the mass gives us <laughs> right, the mass right. gives us a very good model of how to bring people together. It's a meal. Everyone likes to eat. Most people <laughs> like to drink wine. Just like bringing together people of all ages in a setting like that of just real friendship and getting mm-hmm. to know each other in a setting where people feel relaxed and they're not being catechized or convinced, just sharing a meal with people and seeing that these older Catholics have struggled with their faith, have struggles in their own life. And I don't know, just I think those are the types of settings that are most helpful. Yeah, what I was thinking of is where I've been hesitant in that as a young person. And for young Catholics in particular, I'm switching modes a little bit. You have Mm -hmm. to be willing to also meet older Catholics where they're at, right? If you're going to, for example, as Ashley is like served on the parish council or, or the fact of the matter is most people who volunteer for church things are retired and have more time and sort of the needs or the technological or scheduling that all goes around what their lives are like. And so that makes things really tough on young people. So yeah. going in with like a clear idea, like, look, you're not going to get your parish council on Google Docs. You're not going to get them on Slack. <laughs> yes, indeed. And that's going to drive you nuts, right? Yeah. They're not even on track changes with Microsoft Word. <laughs> yeah. And that's all blooded man. But that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it like, you just kind of have to live with it. I, You know, that's like a sacrifice <laughs> You're going to have to make for yourself, right? And it sounds so silly because I'm sure an adult's listening to this like, oh, my God, I can't. I learn a new different app every day. Why can't they just use the one that I'm comfortable with? (laughs) Right, right. But, you know, this is where young people live their lives is, you know, they update to the latest social media platform, the latest app, the way way of doing things. And the church is just not going to go that fast. It's not going to go that fast with teaching. It's not going to go that fast with the way it just runs. You know, Zoom was a shock to the system for parishes, (laughs) right? Oh, we Mm -hmm. have to go online? Oh, well, companies been doing that for 10 years, but we've not (laughs) tried. And so with young people really have just like a try to be as humble as possible and be patient. And because you are also missing out on something. I I think when I back to this moment where I joined a, uh, a parish prayer group that was intergenerational, And I was just starting to date my now wife. And we met in the home of a parishioner who was caring for his sick wife. They were elderly. Mm -hmm. And you know how impactful that was for me as a young person embarking on a relationship? 
And so you have something to learn as a young person just by being in community with these people. Yeah. Mm. So you got to see like one part of married life, like the end stages of when one spouse is actually caring for another, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. You got to see that. The huh? wedding's going to look real good on Instagram, but look, <laughs> yeah. it, there's more stuff coming. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you said that because sometimes we do think that only learning or whatever or these things about the future can only happen from the perspective of young people. But there is something that older people have to offer young people as well, a perspective on life, a witness on life's journeys, you know, on the challenges. And and I do think, you know, the idea that young Catholics and older Catholics come together in conversation with older Catholics, not necessarily saying, hey, we've got all the answers, you know, that it's something together, the life experience, the trials, the challenges are some things that we can talk about together. And I imagine that as a single young man witnessing this kind of marital love really, to me, prepared you in a way where you were more, I think, aware of what can happen in marriage later on. You well, know? And you know what? It wasn't, I did not show up at a talk on marriage at the parish, mm-hmm. right? I was not there for programming to be, and I probably would not have gone, to be frank. Mm-hmm. I was just, mm-hmm. they were just living their lives, you know, the daily hard work of discipleship and, and the vocation that you're in. And I just picked up on it. And I probably should have gone back and told this couple. <laughs> what, what an impact they made on my life. So that's on me. But, I, you know, I, this is where it happens, right? I, I often think we try to overprogram too much in the church. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be like, oh, okay, we're going to create like a, a marriage dialogue between young people and old people that meets Tuesday right. at 10 a.m. <laughs> right, right, in right. the parish hall. And we're going to hope the young people can show up to that and hear about <laughs> right. the, from the old people who are married. And that's not going to, that just doesn't happen, right? And so if you can create these spaces of real kinship, real connection, this is what Pope Francis has talked about, right? We need an intergenerational society where, where the young can learn from the old and the old from the young because we both have something to teach one another. Amen. Yeah, I'm thinking about, Ashley, when you're talking about dinner. Why can't we just have a dinner <laughs> True, in a parish hall? Just have a meal. Just say, hey, once a month, we're going to have a parish dinner for everybody. Come one, come all. And it could be after the Saturday Mass mm-hmm. or whatever, however people want to do it. And that is creating that community. And it also is a lot. And also maybe even say, because I know some people listening, and I'm thinking about what I would have done in my 20s at the parish I would have also put on there, anyone that needs a ride will have the parish van come pick you up, call this number or whatever. Because we would do that. We always thought about the elderly in our parish when we would do things. So for example, we had a parish picnic and it really was a huge turnout. But what we did was we had a van that was shuttled back and forth just explicitly for the elderly. Then we had seats for them at the parish picnic. And then we had food runners that were assigned to each elderly person. Like Mm. you're responsible for everything they need, Mm. food, drink, getting them back and forth to the van or whatever, so that they didn't have this worry. They would attend this picnic and then just be alone, you know, or Mm -hmm. not accounted for. And, you know, just that, I'm not saying that every older Catholic is like that. We're talking about people in their 80s, late 70s, 80s that needed help or anybody else who wanted to. But we have to think about that as well. Not everybody's the same kind of physical ability, you know what I mean, when we have these functions. But nonetheless, it was a beloved annual event for all ages in the parish, from the kids down to the grandmas, great-grandmas in some cases. So imagine what that would be like. I mean, you're basically creating family. No, and I think about, 
I don't know, there were people in the parish with so many different gifts. And mm. so I think of families with young kids and I'm, you know, I'm a single woman who wants to have kids one day. And so I'm mm-hmm. more than happy to be the one who takes care of kids during event or is, you know, a pro bono babysitter. But I've never like found that as the church seems like the natural place for people to like connect Yes. People like me to people with young kids. But I don't know. I'm kind of a shy person. So I'm never going to go up to someone and just be like, hey, can I babysit your kids? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, but- like the, that is such a natural <laughs> place where the church could bring generations together like that. And imagine coming to an event with your kids and you're like, gosh, is there going to really be any time for me to interact with anybody else? I really need to keep my eye on the mm-hmm. children. But if you knew that there was a specific place like right there in the room where somebody's keeping the kids busy at a table with activities and whatnot. That's a whole different kind of thing. They'd be loving you, Ash. <laughs> Let me just yeah. tell you. They'd be loving you to death. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the people organizing the event need to maybe put out a thing saying, we need people to help with the kids and kids activity table or something. I know we're shifting a little bit here to what, what parishes are like today. And mm-hmm. they don't really, one thing we're seeing, and this is true, I think if you talk to any priest, is that in a lot of places, the pandemic restrictions are lifted and people are not coming back. And people are real worried if they're ever going to come back. And Mm -hmm. I think you could see the writing on the wall if you were paying attention to young people in the church, because the parish model is not really, you know, if you're you're in your 20s, you might be moving around a lot. You're sort of in this in-between stage of vocation where you are too old for the youth group, but you don't have the time for the the Knights of Columbus dad <laughs> right. meetup, right? And so you're lost. There's not a ton of programming for you. You might be parish hopping if you're in a city, right? Like when I first moved here, I was just kind of, oh, it's Sunday, I got to go to mass. But I was, you know, I went to, I probably went to 40 parishes and before someone said hi to me. Really? I think, yeah. I, might, I mean, you just kind of dip what? in. And if they do, if someone does say hi to you, they're almost like vultures in that like you're the only person <laughs> under 50 there. And so they try to like, just like swoop in. And swoop get in. Yeah. Or like, oh, you're a young man praying. You must be discerning the priesthood or something. Oh, right. Like it's like stuff like that. And it's just simple with the parish that Ashley invited me to that finally got me. It was just, I'm on my way out of mass. Father says, oh, hey, I'm Anthony. Like I'm Father Anthony. Are you new here? Are you visiting? Like mm-hmm. just a simple, who are you? <laughs> right. And wow. the parish model, I think, is taken for granted a lot of things that people are just going, to, of course, they're going to come. And if they fall away, of course, they'll come back when it's time for their kids to get baptized. And Oh, but we don't, what happened in between that time that they fall uh-huh, away and the kids, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And, right. Oh, my gosh. And I think now we're starting to see that reality set in. We'll be back in a minute. You know, I do believe reaching out, maybe it's also because I'm an extrovert. I will talk to complete strangers and be like, hey, where are you from? I'm from blah, 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 blah. What brings you here? My husband's like, nobody's like that, Gloria. People don't do that. Okay, people just don't do that, okay? <laughs> He's like, whatever alien planet that left you here. I know you were just in New York. Were you doing that on the subway <laughs> when you were here? No, I was too busy talking with the person that had me on the subway with them. But otherwise, if I had been alone, I might have been like, oh, I like your shoes. Where'd you get those? And blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, I do talk to just total strangers. I don't know why. But the idea that um, nobody in all these parishes that you were hopping from even said, hi, (laughs) what's your name? Welcome, is just unacceptable. I'm sorry. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we got to do better. And I I do hear from a lot of people I know who have left and gone to Protestant churches. They said they feel like they were, the words, I won't say love bombed, but they were just so noticed, you know, and so 
welcomed. They welcomed. Yeah, like they know how to welcome, honey. Yeah. You know, in a way that you were like, I don't even want to hold your hand during the Our Father. Yeah. What do you mean I'm going to look at you? <laughs> what, too I'm going to know your yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like we are, the, one of the great things that unites us as Catholics is that we are universally bad <laughs> universally. at welcoming outsiders. <laughs> Oh, what a horrible thing to say about us, right? I love this church. I really do. But you got to you gotta call it out for, for all it's, for what it's bad Why at. is that, I wonder? Why is that? I will say Catholics in general are not great at, they think of being evangelical as kind of a dirty word, I guess. It's like, I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm just going about my business. And mm. I don't talk about my personal relationship with Jesus. I, you know, I go to mass, I get my sacraments. I'm not out there to, it's not on me to spread the gospel. That's, that's the priest's job. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say there have been times where I've really valued the chance to be anonymous at mass where, mm-hmm. you know, there's some days where you're just, I don't know, something's yeah. happened or you're feeling a certain way and you really just kind of need to not have anybody look at you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think most Catholics like sort of, appreciate that that chance and it really is the the hard thing is to pull us out of that a little bit yeah you would have despised going to mass with me if you were like yeah. i'm like zach what's up oh baby you're not feeling it today you don't want to come on let's go get some donuts and coffee or something that you'd like let's go on up the street and get some champagne brunch or something oh no i'm with you i'm the i'm the extrovert and, and so i i'm usually the one doing that too and people have had to tell me like dude you got to calm down like uh, yeah. this is uh this is not what I'm here for. <laughs> right. You know, I also wonder sometimes if it's like we have a particular way that we are Catholic and like we are here with a certain kind of focus. It seems to be us and God and on the sacraments and forgetting that the person next to us is a part of the experience. Mm-hmm. It kind of also reminds me, like I've gone to traditional Latin masses and stuff like that before. And I know that there are young people that are very attracted to that. When I remember reading online in Reddit or something, some young person was saying, oh my gosh, it was so mystical when they'd gone to a Latin mass and was unlike anything they had ever experienced before. And they just found the whole pageantry of it so attractive. Is that something you're hearing across the board with young people being attracted to the more traditional Latin mass parishes or are you hearing something different or nothing at all? It's hard to say how widespread it is. It certainly is a vocal minority if you're plugged into Catholic Twitter or Catholic Mm. media. There are these stories every couple months about how this thriving traditional Latin mass parish is going to be the future of the church because look at all these young families filling the pews, which I think that's wonderful that there are parishes with filled pews. I just, I don't know how widespread it is, but it's understandable. And I have only attended one Latin mass and it was actually the first time I went to mass in New York City and it was lovely, but I do understand the desire for pageantry, you know, a high mass, you know, chanting, incense, all of that. I get it because a lot of the culture has gotten flattened and you can go from city to city and everything is the same, same restaurants, same look. Mm. And to have something that feels set apart and sacred and just takes you out of the modern world for a little bit, I get Mm. that attraction. Totally. I was certainly one person that was attracted to it. Uh, in college, I went to the traditional Latin mass quite a bit and trained to be an altar server under it. And so, mm. you know, when you're a young person and your world feels super volatile, 
everything is changing. You're changing, for God's sake. Yeah. And it all feels like chaos. And you, and someone tells you, hey, there's this way of being Catholic that is unchanging. It's the most ancient. It's the most holy. It's the most, you know, extra in terms of <laughs> the uh, Baroqueness of it. And you're like, yeah, totally. And it is beautiful. And I totally cried the first time I went to a Latin mass because of how beautiful mm-hmm. it was. You know, Requiem, the Mozart's Requiem's playing in the background. Ooh. But it definitely made me and this probably says more about me than the mass, but I I was susceptible to this idea that I was doing Catholicism the most right Mm -hmm. because it was the most sacred. It was the most beautiful. It was the, and and all these other things were watered down versions of Catholicism, which made me a pretty terrible person to be around. I I have a lot of respect for all my college friends that um, (laughs) put up with me. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I was not only, I was a philosophy major. And so I was just such a drag at dinner parties and, and, and other parties for that matter. And so to what Ashley's saying about, there is this draw, I, to be honest, like, I don't think we've seen any like sociological studies on whether this is a true phenomena that is, you know, young people are flocking to Latin mass parishes. I think it tends to be a matter of you get there, you tend to think you're the most right and therefore you're the most vocal about it. Mm. Because I think that at the end of the day, young people don't really, we're always trying to draw people into the liturgy wars of the previous generation. And you know what? Young people aren't interested in relitigating Vatican II. We're not. <laughs> We're just looking for someone to say hi to us as we leave Mass. That's it. Well, then let me ask this. Let me shift a little bit, because if you're not going to relitigate the liturgy wars, I'm trying to think of something that's probably ubiquitous for young people. And I'm imagining social media has to be something that's so common among all of of the young folks. And so I'm trying to think, what impact has social media had on young Catholics and their relationship to the church, in your opinions? I think it depends what you're measuring it against, right? In a certain sense, you could ask that question, what impact has social media had on young people in their relationship to politics, in their relationship mm-hmm. to their families, in their relationship, you know, whatever. Right. And so it's a mixed bag, right? The same ways that Facebook is sort of ruining our democracy are the same ways <laughs> that it's ruining the church yeah. in the mm. sense that you are, it allows you to connect with like-minded individuals, but then it only feeds you content from like-minded individuals. Yeah, it's like parish hopping on like hyperdrive because you can find the person who's saying exactly what you want to hear on their YouTube channel or on their Twitter feed feed. or on their podcast (laughs) feed. And then you can just close your eyes to the rest of the Catholic world or not just close your eyes to it, but see the rest of it as somehow your enemy because that's what social media encourages. So that was one of my concerns how do you counteract social media that has put people into these sort of conspiracy things about the church? You know, like, you know, you have people that'll say Francis is not the Holy Father. You've got a swath of people saying that the church has been taken over by these demonic forces that are, you know, doing things inside the Vatican. And, you know, how do we, how do we even counteract that kind of stuff? I have no idea. (laughs) Short. (laughs) Well, because there's a couple options facing you and you kind of have to discern what's right for whoever you are and whatever your ministry is. Because, I mean, one option is to just totally depart from social media. And I have not found that to be an effective way of confronting this because, Look, some of these people that you're talking about, without naming names, have very popular platforms that, you know, feed off these algorithms and feed off of this division. And so you have to sort of be in the game because that's where the game is being played. Right. Like, I think that's one of the, the mandates of Christianity and disciples is to go where the people are and the people are on social media and to be of the world, but not in it. Right. I think you have to invest in 
platforms that encourage more nuanced and honest conversations. I think that's why I, I love podcasting, right? Because yeah. it's way harder to be, although you will, there are a number of examples that say opposite of this, but it's way harder to be totally bombastic and unnuanced and, and crazy if you are, you know, in an hour long, real intimate conversation. Right. Mm. And so investing in platforms and people that go against that, I think is is a way out. Now, it might be the case that we just need to shut some of these things down. <laughs> I, I, I'm not all, I'm not, I'm not, if, if none of us can get on it, that's, that's a different story. Right. I would, well, so I guess I'm less, a little bit less concerned about the effects of social media. I think it, when you're plugged in, it can seem they are the loudest voices in the room, but I don't know how ubiquitous they really are. Um, we think of the internet as like expanding our horizons and, you know, connecting people throughout the globe. But it also kind of shrinks the world in a way in that these people with conspiracy theories are now in the same room <laughs> and oh. are finding Ooh. each other and thus right. congregating and seeming like maybe they have more influence than they do. And so I just think about the fact that, you know, Pope Francis is not on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Well, he is. But he is on not officially. <laughs> no, he is officially. He is officially. He has a Twitter handle. Yeah. And uh, I think we— But you're not thinking he's scrolling through his feed when he wakes think, up, first thing when he wakes up in the morning? Um, you're thinking his handlers are on Twitter and everything. Yeah. So then I think, so who has a more realistic view of what's happening in the world? Those of us who are furiously scrolling through Twitter and seeing <laughs> this acrimony, or Pope Francis, who has the bird's eye view and <laughs> is unaware that this is happening and is looking at his global flock— and, you know, just doing what popes have always done. Yeah. I will say, I think all these little things that people do to, like, somehow stake out a middle ground, like, oh, I'm going to delete the Twitter app on my phone. Uh -huh. So if I want to, I, I can only use it if I'm on my desktop. These all, th all these little things seem very silly, but they all, I think, help get to a point of view that you are you are saying that the pope might have. Because yeah. you do have to be somewhat aware of what's happening. Otherwise, you're yeah. called to a monastic life, and that's, that's fine. Your world cannot be all virtual, <laughs> yes. is what you're saying. It exactly. can't be all virtual. But I did like how you mentioned, like, look, you got to go where the people are. And it reminds me of St. John Paul II talking about the new evangelization, that mm -hmm. all forms of communication, media, whatever, that, yeah, we need to be there to share the message. But I'm also thinking we need to be there to be the witness of how Christians would be behaving, yeah. you know, in these mediums. Oh, I haven't seen any examples of Christians behaving badly on social. I don't know what you're <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about? I thought <laughs> we're so perfectly wonderful, yeah. such good, good examples, aren't we all? You must yeah. have a different feed than me, Gloria. <laughs> yeah, right. Just adding a little salt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I also wonder how much of that drove people away post-pandemic, you know, once we were able to get back, mm -hmm. that they saw how we just acted so awfully on um, social media because, you know, a lot of us were disconnected from the face-to-face -face communication. So maybe we're doing the virtual stuff. And that's when you started to see just things that you're like, why, y'all? Why? Mm -hmm. And I, I can imagine not wanting to really go back into that environment. You know, if you find these people were acting a fool online, you're like, I'm not going yeah. to look at Karen during mass. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to uh -huh. go in there. And I was thinking about a girlfriend of mine online who was saying she had to unfriend people because she saw them liking posts where they were talking so negatively about her. She's like, these are people I've known for years. And you're liking something that somebody else is saying is, you know, so these kinds of things. And it was over something COVID related, I think. Yeah. And th so this is our public witness. And we wonder why <laughs> young right, people right. are maybe not. 
Right. Fuck. All these things. The this is the way I think people think young people act on social media. Yeah. In reality, <laughs> all adults are susceptible to it. Yeah. One of the things I want to ask too, and I love this because I'm watching you guys as we're recording this podcast, and you both are drinking, and I'm like, <laughs> what? All I've got is my. Like orange water. I have nothing fun. <laughs> so, you know, can we talk about drinking and working together? Yeah. Well, this actually goes back to like the earliest notions I had of a calling or a vocation. I was at the University of Virginia. This is going way back. Yeah. I, I did not. Yeah. This is outside the scripted answers we have. So, go ahead. Right, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, Your yeah. vocational calling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but really, no. So I had kind of. An experience of really coming into my own faith as a young adult when I was a freshman at university. And when that happened, I just, I couldn't stop talking about God and Catholicism. And so I would go to frat houses, I would go to bars, I would go to parties, and my friends would just be like, all right, give her 30 minutes and she's going to start <laughs> like asking people what they think about God. <laughs> Good for you. And I, it did give me this idea of what I wanted to do was talk about God and have these deep conversations, but also prove that normal people can do this. Like you can go to a bar or a frat house and be a Catholic. <laughs> and mm -hmm. well, I mean, I guess I wasn't exactly acting completely normal. People probably thought <laughs> I was a little weird. And they're like, why is she killing our vibe? Oh my God. What's up? <laughs> that, is, that is the spirit that I brought to this podcast. The spirit and the spirits that we drink on the podcast are, are meant to mimic a, you know, just conversation among friends at a bar. That's, you know, mm. like many young people, we were at a bar one day and we thought, people should just turn the mics on. These conversations are great. We, <laughs> we, deep, we should start I'm a sure. podcast. But we're trying to create an environment where people are relaxed. We're just here to talk. We're not here to present any bold new ways of thinking. Um, we're just young Catholics trying to figure it out just like you. Yeah. And, and you know, trying to keep our sanity in a Catholic news world that makes that very difficult sometimes. Yes. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for helping us think about conversation and community and intergenerational community and what it would look like for Catholics from all generations to come together and create community within a parish setting or even how this plays out in people's faith lives as they maybe are parish hopping because that's just the way it is. So thank you so much, Zach and Ashley. I really appreciate you joining me to talk about this on Gloria Purvis podcast. Hey, Gloria, thanks so much. We really love what you're doing. So thank oh. you. Thank you for doing all the stuff that you do. We're big fans. Yeah. Thanks, oh my Gloria. goodness. Likewise, you guys have been awesome. And Ashley's looked over some of the things I write and she's just like, <laughs> it's oh, fantastic. Yeah. Girl, did you mean to say that? <laughs> did you really mean to say that? <laughs> she says that to me during the podcast, yeah. too. Like, ends up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. All right. Goodbye. Thanks, Gloria. Thanks, Gloria. Bye. Bye. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. 
It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.